What a Day is brought to you by Ulta Beauty. This AAPI Heritage Month, Ulta Beauty is celebrating the joy of belonging, belonging to a community composed of intricate connections, belonging to our past and our future, to the heritage and birthright that is beauty. Ulta Beauty shines a light on the AAPI community, passing the mic to brand founders and creators to tell their stories centered on heritage, joy, and beauty. They carry AAPI-owned and founded brands like Live Tinted, Peach and Lily, Glamnetic, Tree Hut, and more. Shop AAPI-owned and founded brands at Ulta Beauty Stores and Ulta.com. It's Thursday, April 29th. I'm Gila Hughes. And I'm Gideon Resnick, and this is What a Day, where we are figuring out the politest way to ask our apps to stop tracking us. Yeah, I want to let them down easy. You know, they do mean a lot to me. (laughs) I love my tracking apps. On today's show, Rubicon's Brian Boitler helps us assess President Biden's first 100 days. But first, the latest. To win that competition for the future, in my view, we also need to make a once in a generation investment in our families and our children. That's why I've introduced the American Families Plan tonight. That was Biden making the pitch for his new American Families Plan, yet another spending and tax plan as part of his first address to Congress. The vibes were still very pandemic-y, double masked and distanced. It was like an eighth of the size of a normal congressional address. And it was certainly a reminder that this isn't over yet, but back to the plan. Yeah, so on that plan, uh, it is the administration's latest approach to basically getting us out of the pandemic, the major focus of the start of this administration. It is a $1.8 trillion plan that would, among other things, provide education funding covering two free years of community college and pre-K for all three- and four-year-olds. It would also fund a paid family and medical leave program, extend a child tax credit, although not make it permanent, and extend subsidies for ACA premiums. And the White House has said it would be paid for with income tax rate increases for the top 1% (laughs) and increasing the capital gains rate. But also it'd be paid for by beefing up IRS enforcement, which it thinks would help bring in a lot of money from corporations. And this is all in addition to the previously announced infrastructure plan. There are a lot of big packages this administration is dealing with. Mm -hmm. Now, Biden also spoke about immigration, climate change, foreign policy and voting rights, among other legislative priorities. And of course, the vaccination campaign. Today, 90 percent of Americans now live within five miles of a vaccination site. Everyone over the age of 16, everyone is now eligible to get vaccinated right now, right away. Go get vaccinated, America. Go and get the vaccination. They're available. Wow. So as we heard, Biden has really over-delivered on his vaccine rollout goal and is still urging Americans to get the vaccine. And we've covered the slowdown in demand in recent days, so this appeal to the nation hopefully doesn't go unheard. He notably did not bring up the crisis in India right now, but he did say we'll return to our World War II legacy of supplying our, quote, arsenal of democracy uh, in reference to sharing vaccines. But this is still a little disappointing because it was relatively vague and there was no timeline. Yeah, I hope we do much, much more. And what about the pandemic more broadly? What did he have to say about his administration's handling of it? 
Well, he had a lot to say. So he went on to talk about his response to every facet of the pandemic. He boasted about the 160 million relief checks being distributed and 1.3 million jobs being created since January 25th. He also flexed that the ACA had nearly 800,000 additional signups thanks to his special enrollment period. Right. And we heard from Biden a bit on the topic that is obviously at the forefront of everyone's minds, policing in America. And he talked about trying to pass the George Floyd Justice in Policing Act. We need to work together to find a consensus. But let's get it done next month by the first anniversary of George Floyd's death. The country supports this reform and Congress should act, should act. We have a giant opportunity to bend the arc of the moral universe toward justice, real justice. Mm. What were your reactions to this part of the speech? Okay, so I'm glad that he emphasized real justice because consequences after the fact do not bring black people back from the dead. And look, I'm not like exactly sure how we can enact change on the local level and rooting out the bad apples, but I just want to reiterate that the saying goes, one bad apple spoils the bunch. So the premise that there are some bad apples means it's a big enough problem to be a priority. I appreciate that it made it into a speech, but beyond Congress acting at some point, there does need to be like a real reckoning and overhaul of how so-called justice is served in the country. Yeah. And Biden timed his speech to come right as he hit his 100th day in office today. That number always sounds good to use as a way to judge how a president is doing so far because 100 is a nice round number. And more Mm -hmm. importantly, it can pretend successes and failures for the rest of the term. And so today we have with us Crooked Media's editor-in-chief, Brian Boitler. He is also the host of Rubicon, which is currently exploring this very topic. Welcome back to the show, Brian. It's great to be here every time. So I want to start with the pandemic, uh, where before President Biden took office, our country had one of the world's worst COVID responses, I think is a light way of putting it. Uh, Mm -hmm. But on January 26th, Biden said this. These aggressive steps to increase vaccine supply come on top of the steps we took last week to get more people vaccinated for free, to create more places for them to get vaccinated and to mobilize more medical teams to get shots in people's arms. Okay, so then today, about 29% of our total population is fully vaccinated, and Biden did meet his updated goal to give out 200 million shots within his first 100 days. He got there on day 92, if we were counting. The White House also announced this week that it plans to share millions of doses of AstraZeneca's COVID vaccine with other countries. So how did we get here, and did you expect this much success on vaccinations? When Biden came into office, he had set the goal initially at 100 million shots in 100 days. By the time he took office, we were already clearing about a million shots a day. So basically, if he had done nothing to improve the situation he inherited, he would have hit that goal. But they very quickly exceeded that pace and updated the goal. And it was unclear whether even a really competent administration of the vaccine rollout could have achieved that. The Trump team's vision for a vaccine rollout was really quite a lot like if FEMA, after a hurricane, dropped pallets of water at a way station and said, come get your water. They had to do the whole last mile and they had to build it out starting on day one. And to get from there to consistently over 3 million shots a day was a real feat. And so the vaccine rollout has, as you've alluded to, some bumps as well throughout the process. You know, at the beginning, it was disadvantaged people really struggling to figure out the complicated processes in various states and localities. Now there is a related issue of having that campaign stall out below 3 million. 
How did Biden do specifically in addressing the divide of who could and couldn't get shots? Uh, yes, I think that there was a balancing act that they had to strike in the period of time when vaccine supply was limited and vaccine demand was through the roof. You only saw the beginnings of a continuous messaging campaign about getting people, particularly people who needed to come out of the woodwork to get the vaccine vaccinated until the second half of the first 100 days. And I think now that we have reached the point where supply has eclipsed demand and, and there's been some drop off, you'll see that accelerate because you're trying to reach people who are harder to convince. But when you do convince them, they can go anywhere pretty much and they can get a shot. Um, and so I think that that is what you're going to see going forward is a much more concerted effort to find the people uh, who, who you know, they ideally would have loved to have gotten their shots in the first hundred days, but were, were hard to reach for one reason or another. The second sort of major thing, I guess, in the pandemic response has been the passing of the American Rescue Plan. So what can Biden learn from the success of that entire process and use those lessons to pass other kinds of progressive legislation like the infrastructure plan, the American Families Plan, when reconciliation might not always be an option for him? If reconciliation is not an option for him, then I think he's going to have to lean harder than he has into changing the filibuster rules. But mm. if we're going to assume that reconciliation is going to be an option for at least a lot of this stuff, he's going to want to continue, as he seems inclined to do, to propose provisions in his jobs and families plans that are really about providing more resources to programs that are well understood, well liked, they're just maybe a little under-resourced. And then I think the third flank of this is sort of related to the filibuster complication, which is that a lot of this is in the hands of congressional Democrats. Mm -hmm. And what, what they showed really remarkable restraint in the crafting and the passage of the rescue plan, where they didn't let their big pet projects or their major reservations about whatever uh, derail anything. And if he can convince the entire Senate Democratic caucus to do the same thing for these two plans, then I think that he could basically repeat what was so successful about the rescue plan, and he'd find that it worked again. On the filibuster specifically, you know, Biden at this point seems unwilling to flat out get rid of it as he has for quite some time. But it seemed like a, a revelation that he mentioned reform uh, mm -hmm. in, in March. Here he is talking to CNN about that. You have to do it what it used to be when I first got to the Senate. And that is that a filibuster, you had to stand up and command the floor. Once you stopped talking, you lost that and someone could move in and say, I moved the question of. So you got to work for the filibuster. So you're for that reform. You're for bringing back the talking filibuster. I am. That's what it was supposed to be. So far, the talking filibuster is not back, and the rule continues to be an obstacle to passing all sorts of legislation, uh, basically everything that has gone through the House in the last three months or so. Uh, so could Biden be doing more to reach that goal? And what can he really be doing as president to make those sorts of changes on that level happen? There's just going to have to be some level of creative politicking. What he needs is every single Senate Democrat to agree with him. And currently, maybe 48 do. Right. What you need then is to figure out a way to get the last couple Democrats to realize that the rules as currently written aren't working. There are certainly things that will matter to Senator Joe Manchin and uh, Senator Kristen Sinema, uh, whether it's minimum wage legislation or democracy reforms that would protect someone like Kristen Sinema from the voter suppression legislation that Republicans in Arizona are trying to pass. Mm. You put those on the floor, 
you show that they have enough votes to pass in a world where the majority gets to govern. And the only thing that's stopping them from becoming law is this arbitrary requirement that legislation needs 60 votes to pass. And another issue that I think has been part of Biden's early administration so far is immigration. He did send a comprehensive immigration bill to Congress, but then again, he faced backlash from progressives and immigration advocates for breaking his campaign promise on refugees, not to mention housing additions for migrant children. But on on the refugee point specifically, he initially pledged to raise the cap on the number the U.S. would take in each year. But almost two weeks ago, he said he would keep the Trump era cap in place before walking it back and promising to raise it. After all, I think that's where it ended up. That cap is still half of what he promised, 62,500 instead of 125,000. What does something like that quick turnaround say about Biden's approach to immigration? And what can we even say so far about his approach overall? It's a little murky. I think that you can see in what Democrats in Congress have prioritized that they don't see immigration reform as much of a priority. I think that what the story of the refugee cap tells is that this White House is very attuned to public opinion. And they don't want to put Biden on the wrong side of it when they don't feel they have to, uh, but that they're also very responsive when their whole support structure turns around and tells them that they made a mistake. Mm -hmm. So you could imagine their political caution being something that pushes them away from doing comprehensive immigration reform or, or, or other things because they don't think it's worth investing political capital in things that will blow back. Right, right. And then... Just overall here, we talked last time about how this 100 days metric is in some ways kind of arbitrary, but we do it anyway every single time. Yeah. Uh, Looking back on it now, what is your overall assessment so far here? If you limit it to what happened in the 100 days and ignore the question of how well it situates them for the next 100 or the next 1,000, like knocked it out of the park good, right? Any Mm -hmm. president would love to pass a super popular $2 trillion rescue plan that helps save the country from a pandemic. Right. The flip side of that is what you want, why we care about the first 100 days or the first early weeks or whatever you want to call it, is to sort of gauge how well the administration uh, situated themselves to govern for the entire term. Mm-hmm. Biden has really big ambitions, but if there's a filibuster in place, many of them are going to go unmet. And that will leave a couple of bills that they might be able to pass to reconciliation, but they will need every Democrat to get on board and not to get mired in infighting. And I don't think we have enough history under our belt yet. 100 days didn't provide us enough to be able to take a fair stab at which version of events we're going to see play out. The one where Biden becomes this uh, this LBJ or FDR-like figure who passes tons of transformative legislation, or whether we'll, we'll look back at the 100 days as the high watermark and then things kind of ground to a halt. Brian, thank you so much again for joining us today. Really appreciate it. Yeah, it was a blast. Thanks for having me. That was Brian Boitler, the host of Crooked's Rubicon, where he assesses Biden's first 100 days. The finale episode comes out tomorrow. And that's the latest for now. Hey, 
It's Thursday, Wad Squad, and for today's Tim Check, we're talking about one of New York's least desirable apartments. It's Rudy <laughs> Giuliani's, where FBI agents seized cell phones and computers yesterday as part of the investigation into the former mayor's work in Ukraine. This goes back to Giuliani's attempts to get dirt on the Biden family during the Trump campaign. He's also on the hook for potentially pushing to oust the U.S. ambassador to Ukraine on behalf of the Ukrainian government. This raid is a significant development in an investigation that started over two years ago. So, Giddy, what's your take on it and also on the overall idea of raiding Rudy Giuliani's apartment? This would be the most catastrophic Room Raiders episode of yeah, all bad. time. I would the blacklight. Love, love to see it. Yeah, blacklight. Um, I'm wondering, I have, I have two questions. One is what sort of hair products were found uh, yeah. in the apartment uh, and were they seized? I think and they were two, just uh, Crayola markers that he draws, <laughs> so he can yes, he yes. just melt on screen. He really likes to have it in his pores. Yep, yep, it's got to drip. Um, mm-hmm. I I also wonder if he has like, a collection of sort of like sweat rags that he like dabs himself with, like <laughs> he did at um, the <laughs> the one Trump speech. I can't remember. Maybe the RNC. Mm-hmm. Um, and also on the phones, are there any behind the scenes Borat pictures? Right. Maria Bakalova oh, when yes. he thought that she was the reporter. You know, I Probably. I have some questions. Oh, yeah. I mean, I think that these are all a good place to start. And I think that, you know, the FBI would do well to take that suggestion. You know, let's look into those things first. Ukraine yes. is going to be there. Like, we know it's going to be there. It'll be there. Yeah. For, yeah, fully. Don't even worry about that. But but how are you feeling about this? What's There's a lot to uh, think yeah. about here. I mean, yeah, I, I kind of think that it would be very damp in there, you know, so it's like I hope that mm. they had some some full body coverings. <laughs> you don't want to get any drippings from the ceiling or the floor. I think it would be kind of like a very warm bat cave, but not like Ooh. cool. Like there's nothing cool in there. <laughs> None of the, there's no high tech stuff. It's just like low tech in a cave. Um, <laughs> but, but yeah, beyond that, I think it's just like it's it's very funny because so many people uh, who are, you know, in ways close to Trump, I guess he's his lawyer. Uh, or was for a time. Um, they're they're all just thinking they were going to get away with everything, and now you know the chickens are coming home to roost. So it, it's going to be interesting. I think that this is this is a good bit of news to wake up to. I enjoyed seeing it on West Coast time in the morning. I was like, all right, <laughs> DOJ out here doing some work today. They woke up on the right side of the bed. And honestly, I think that it's a good place to remember everybody. We checked our temps. Stay safe. And uh, yeah, if, if the DOJ is coming to investigate you, just tidy up a little bit. And uh, we'll be back after some ads. What a day is brought to you by Books. This Mother's Day, give mom her flowers. She absolutely deserves the best. And that's why you should send her farm fresh flowers from Books. That's short for bouquets. Books has modern designs and unique flowers you can't find anywhere else. And with 20% off, you can send some to mom, your wife, your auntie, even your granny, okay? Anyone who deserves flowers in your life mm-hmm. it doesn't have to be holiday specific. You get flowers, you're getting flowers, <laughs> everyone's getting flowers. <laughs> Go to books.com and use promo code WAD for 25% off. That is B-O-U-Q-S dot com, promo code WAD, books, promo code WAD. What a Day is brought to you by Fast Growing Trees. Fast Growing Trees is the biggest online nursery in the U.S. with more than 10,000 different kinds of plants and over 2 million happy customers. They have everything you could possibly want, like fruit trees, palm trees, evergreens, houseplants, and so much more. Plus, Fast Growing Trees makes it easy to order online and your plants 
are shipped directly to your door in one to two days. And along with their 30-day Alive and Thrive guarantee, they offer free plant consultation forever. We love fast-growing trees here. I keep telling you that the many plants that I've gotten from these folks are yet hanging on. Um, And that's not because I have a green thumb, okay? This spring, fast-growing trees, they have the best deals online, up to half off on select plants and other deals. And listeners to our show get an additional 15% off their first purchase when using the code WAD at checkout. That's an additional 15% off at fastgrowingtrees.com using the code WAD at checkout. Fastgrowingtrees.com, code WAD. Offer is valid for a limited time. Terms and conditions may apply. This show is sponsored by BetterHelp. Therapy is a safe space to get things off your chest and to work through whatever's weighing you down. If you're thinking of starting therapy, give BetterHelp a try. It's entirely online and designed to be convenient, flexible, and suited to your schedule. Just fill out a brief questionnaire to get matched with a licensed therapist and switch therapists anytime for no additional charge. Therapy is great for, you know, you know that thing that just is like sitting on your shoulder, you can't get over it, and you just sometimes need somebody to talk through it with? Therapy can be helpful for that, you all, okay? You got to get it off your chest, you know? And you can do that with BetterHelp. So visit BetterHelp.com slash WAD today to get 10% off your first month. That's 10% off your first month at BetterHelp, H-E-L-P, dot com slash WAD. Let's wrap up with some headlines. Headlines. A 26-year-old Hispanic man in California's Bay Area died after police officers pinned him face down to the ground for five minutes. Mario Gonzalez died on April 19th, but the Alameda County Police Department released the body camera footage earlier this week. An initial police report said that Gonzalez was intoxicated and had a medical emergency, but a lawyer for his family called it misinformation and said, quote, drunk guy in a park doesn't equal a capital sentence. The three officers responsible have been placed on administrative leave. In other news, a South Carolina judge denied the public release of body camera footage of sheriff's deputies fatally shooting Andrew Brown yesterday. Brown's family will be able to watch the footage in a private viewing, but the judge claimed that releasing it publicly would interfere with the investigation. In most states, body camera footage is considered public record, but not in South Carolina. Disgusting. Three white men were indicted on charges of federal hate crimes and attempted kidnapping in the death of Ahmaud Arbery. A federal attorney's office in Georgia said Gregory McMichael, his son Travis, and William Bryan interfered with Arbery's right to use a public street because of his race. Last February, the three men chased down and fatally shot Arbery while he was out on a jog. Arbery's family's attorney, Ben Crump, called the indictments another step in the right direction. All men are also facing state charges, including murder, aggravated assault, and false imprisonment. But a court date has not yet been set for the trial. Another story about three white men facing consequences. Three of the men who plan to kidnap Michigan's governor have been charged with conspiring to use weapons of mass destruction. Truly a blast from the past. Uh, (laughs) The men are part of a right-wing extremist group called the Wolverine Watchmen, and they were motivated to kidnap Governor Gretchen Whitmer after she imposed lockdowns to slow the spread of COVID. To me, this seems uh, like a lot more time-consuming and expensive than just buying a mask, but then again, I'm not a white supremacist (laughs) whose brain has been melted by hatred. Uh, Just not. Another part of the group's plan 
was to blow up a bridge near Whitmer's house so police couldn't easily reach her. To do it, they ordered $4,000 worth of explosives from an undercover FBI agent, which is what led to the new charge. Mm -hmm, That makes sense. Uh, Finding WNDs in Michigan does not mean we have to go to war with the state, but it does mean these three men face up to life in prison, along with three other members of the group who face kidnapping charges. Almost a week after her big day, the Senate finally came through with a present for Earth. 52 senators voted yesterday to restore an Obama-era regulation to curb methane leaks from oil and gas operations. The EPA implemented the rule in 2016, and Trump overturned it late last summer. He was standing up for blue-collar energy workers by making their bosses richer so they can buy more (laughs) private airplanes for the workers to look at. Now, the bill heads back to the House, where it's expected to pass easily before landing on Biden's desk. Methane gas has up to 80 times more climate impact than carbon dioxide, and reducing methane emissions by at least half by 2030 is a key part of Biden's climate agenda. And Dr. Jill can only do so much by making running her only mode of transportation. Yeah. Let the woman put her feet up. Okay. Mm -hmm. Yeah. You know, she's tired. She shouldn't have to carry all of this on her own back. And those are the headlines. (laughs) One more thing before we go, this week on Hysteria, hosts Aaron Ryan and Alyssa Mastromonaco are joined by Sophie Akoff, co-executive director of the National Young Farmers Coalition, to discuss the importance of supporting farmers and the need for equity in farming. Check out this and a host of other fantastic conversations by subscribing to Hysteria wherever you listen to podcasts. That is all for today. If you like the show, make sure you subscribe, leave a review, avoid Rudy Giuliani's apartment, and tell your friends to listen. And if you're into reading and not just running tips from Dr. Joe like me, what a day is also a nightly newsletter. Check it out and subscribe at crooked.com slash subscribe. I'm Akila Hughes. I'm Gideon Resnick. And And happy happy belated belated Earth Day. Day. Yeah, we knew we would figure something out that you didn't have already. Mm -hmm. Those methane things. We we are creative (laughs) with gifts. What can I say? Mm -hmm. Figured it out. What a Day is a production of Crooked Media. It's recorded and mixed by Charlotte Landis. Sonia Tun is our assistant producer. Our head writer is John Milstein, and our executive producers are Leo Duran, Akila Hughes, and me. Our theme music is by Colin Gilliard and Kashaka. Why are smart businesses graduating to NetSuite by Oracle? Because NetSuite eliminates the expense of multiple business systems by consolidating your operations together into one. NetSuite is the number one cloud financial system, bringing accounting, financial management, inventory, and HR into one platform and one source of truth. NetSuite reduces IT costs because it lives in the cloud with no hardware required, so you can access it from anywhere. You cut the cost and headaches of maintaining multiple systems because you've got one unified business management suite. Bringing all your major business processes into one platform improves efficiency, slashing manual tasks and errors. Over 37,000 companies have already made the move, so do the math. You'll see how you'll profit with NetSuite, too. And now, by popular demand, NetSuite has extended its one-of-a-kind flexible financing program for a few more weeks. Just go to netsuite.com slash podcast25 for more information. That's netsuite.com slash podcast25. 
Shopify is the global commerce platform that helps you sell at every stage of your business. With the Internet's best converting checkout, 36% better on average compared to other leading commerce platforms, Shopify helps you turn browsers into buyers. In fact, Shopify powers 10% of all e-commerce in the U.S. Sign up for a $1 per month trial period at shopify.com slash podcast free. All lowercase, shopify.com slash podcast free, shopify.com slash podcast free. (laughs) 